Opening up new buildings, we're knocking down the old. We're working in the summer heat and in the winter cold. And the labour power we sell, me boys, for a hard and weekly pay, produces mighty profits for the greedy MBA. And whether we were born here or born in Italy, in Greece, in Spain or Ireland, in England or Fiji, we all of us are workers united. We must stand until the wealthy bludgers have been driven from our land. Welcome to Creatures of the Industry, an ongoing series of oral history interviews with the people who made the building and construction industry in Melbourne and regional Victoria since the 1960s. These podcasts are sponsored by the Concrete Gang in cooperation with Community Radio 3CR. And break a couple of concrete pores to back our lug of claims. So keep your powder dry and hold your head up high. It's glass to glass and face to face, our limit is the sky. We've got a fighting history and we never will be cowed. And welcome to Series 3 of Creatures of the Industry, and uh, we're still in Western Australia. And uh, on this particular day we're recording, I was told it was minus 2 in Melbourne, but it was a balmy 17 degrees in Perth. Now, our first episode, uh, we were talking to Graham Pallett. Second episode, we were talking to Joe McDonald. And today, in our third episode, we're talking to Peter Ballard. Welcome aboard, Peter. Thanks, Ralph. It's an absolute pleasure to be in Perth. And as I've said in the introductions to the other recordings, this was an opportunity too good to miss. And it, go- and it gives us an opportunity also to compare industry in the two states and I would suggest that perhaps the differences aren't that much. There are some local idiosyncrasies but a building worker is a building worker everywhere. How would you go with that comment, Peter? Uh, That sounds about right, Ralph. Now, your experience (laughs) in the industry. You didn't actually start in this industry. Would you like to give us your background and then how you started in, in the construction industry? Well, I left school at 13. I went uh, in the shearing sheds as a rouseabout, then I became a shearer. In them days, there was plenty of good comrades there. And, uh, yeah, I went to, I started in the, in the shearing industry. Uh, when the wide comb dispute come up, I mean, I made a statement that I'd never shear beside them, I'd never shear with them, so I had to get another job. So I come to... Western Australia where I knew a few people and started off as uh, as a bricky labourer and I stayed here ever since. And like a lot of people, a good way to learn the industry, being a bricky's labourer. Uh, number one. Number one. And how long did you stay a bricky's labourer? Well, it was quite funny because uh, I met Kevin Reynolds and uh, let him know that I was on that the job as a British labourer, where we ended up having the big blue as well. But uh, he uh, asked me to come into the office after a, oh, a month or so and uh, said, would you like to be delegate on the job? 
and I got a bit of a shock. But Kevin said, I know you know nothing about the industry, but you'll learn. And that was the start of it. Threw you in the deep end. Basically, yeah. <laughs> this is a constant theme in these interviews, the deep end or nothing. <laughs> well, as a Brickies labourer, who were you working for when you first got here? Uh, the builder was a bloke called Brakovich. Um, they come from Kalgoorlie. But I can't remember much about him. It's a long time ago. And not much worth remembering? No. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. But you actually started with a bloke from Kalgoorlie and that's... Uh, a whole other story which uh, we might uh, come to in due course when we start talking about what a very different state Western Australia is compared to Victoria. Compared oh, to. I mean, it's small, Victoria's small, it's compact, and uh, really there ain't too many major distant regional centres in Victoria. They're all within a few hours' drive, Ballarat, Bendigo and so on, but... When we're in Western Australia, we're talking about Kalgoorlie, we're talking about Port Hedland, we're talking a bloody big distance. Now, the job you went to that Kevin dropped you in the deep end on, which job was that and uh, it was, what, was it? What, was the, uh, what was the story there? Well, it was, it was uh, units, it was a unit job, it was at Leaderville and... Uh, the thing about that, I was very fortunate when I started the industry and I did know nothing about it. As Kevin was right there. But uh, I was very fortunate because back in them days, uh, there were that many militants, it wasn't a joke. If you went in a smoke shed, all they'd be talking about is union or, or they had politics. And uh, over the years... Uh, I uh, was fortunate enough to go to Melbourne a few times. Once I went over for a week at St Kilda Road picket line, and you know all about that, Ralph. A very memorable time of everyone's life. Yeah. Um, and I was that impressed in the way the union handled that blue. It gave me the spark I needed. And uh, I got talking to Johnny Cummins and Normie Gallagher and, and got to know a lot of other good comrades and uh, they, they expired me. When I got home, all I could think about was, uh, what am I going to do today if I was a delegate? Because yep. I always thought as a delegate, um, it's an honour. It's an honour to be a delegate. And that's the way I looked at it all them years. And, uh, you know, I'm very fortunate that I met them people. So you entered an industry you didn't know and you've talked about a theme that's actually come up a few times in these conversations and that is the shed. The lunch shed, the crib shed, you can call it all sorts of different names but it was probably one of the greatest uh, educational institutions that anyone could go to yeah. because people weren't playing with their phones, people weren't... Uh, worrying about uh, whether they'd made any money in cryptocurrency and a few other things. Yeah. actually talked about the industry, they talked about politics, they actually talked and people learnt. Yeah. Oh, I agree with you 100%, Ralph. You couldn't go into a smogo shed in them days without a discussion of some blue that was down the road or what the union achieved of this job or when are we going to get that. Or It was just bubbling. 
every every day you went in there. And the people who were in the shed with you, I would suspect, uh, like so many other people, were long-term workers in the industry. They may not have been uh, on weekly hire, but they stayed in the industry for decades and they had a lot of experience. Oh, yeah. They had more experience than you'd ever seen. Most of them started young and, and then it got to the stage where they started getting tickets and contributing something back to the union. And... Uh, they had a passion for it. If they agreed or disagreed, they had a passion for what the union was all about. And they had politics. So your experience of the building industry in Perth would have been in the early 80s? Yes. And can't quite remember when the wide comb dispute was on, but I remember it was around that sort of period. Yeah. At that point in time, you know... The industry wasn't perhaps as uncivilised as uh, it had previously been, but how sophisticated was it? You know, when it came to amenities, health and safety and all the rest of it, what, how, do you, how would you rate uh, the industry at that point compared to perhaps today? Well, I think the safety's improved, without a doubt. Um, but I'm a great believer... The safety has proved the union had a big role to play in that um, massive role. But at the end of the day, the bosses, they done their old red tape thing to cover their ass, you know. And if something went wrong, it was always the bloke's fault, yeah. you know. It was that crane driver, he shouldn't have done this, he shouldn't have done that. I agree with everyone there's got a responsibility as far as safety goes, but the bosses got cunning with it and... Uh, just had the paperwork to cover their ass. And in terms of conditions on the on the site, I would imagine that uh, doing uh, small uh, apartment blocks would have been a bit on the rough and ready side. Uh, and that improved or that had uh, continued much as it had previously? Well, the, that first job I started on, it had smoko huts and, and car water and all that sort of stuff. Union got it for them, but I don't think it's changed that much. If you're talking about a, a, someone building a house out in the suburbs or something like that, of course it happens. Yeah. But I can remember the days over here where they just had home units, like that job I was on first up. Everyone was in the union. Yeah. Everyone. Today, to be strictly honest, them jobs, there's hardly any in the union. Mm. And that's a crying shame because wasn't blokes like us that uh, uh, won too much, but the forefathers did. Yeah. That's why I'm a great believer in um, we don't muck around with any of the conditions or the inclement weathers or anything because it wasn't ours to muck around with. You pass it on to the next generation. Well, that's what should be done, yes. So with inclement weather and you know, comparing it to uh, working in the shearing sheds... Um, Shearing sheds I would have thought were bloody hot. How did you go in terms of the inclement weather in uh, Perth in those days? Um, the award was quite clear, but what was considered to be uh, excessive heat and so on, how did you actually deal with that back then? Um, as a delegate? As a delegate, yeah. Well, what was in the book was the book. It was 37.5, you went off the job. I used to get a lot of... Bills and subbies upset 
and I used to get a laugh out because I used to carry a whistle around with me. And uh, to get to the blokes quick, I'd blow the whistle all through the job and in about three minutes they'd be off it. <laughs> For those who don't know, uh, crane crews uh, have always used whistles, or radios today, but whistles were the norm back then and uh, you blew the whistle... It meant uh, up, down, but it also meant stop. That's right. Blew the right signal, it meant stop. That's right. Very effective, Peter, very effective. Now, 37.5 people in Victoria would be shaking in their uh, working boots to think they'd have to work to 37.5 because being uh, the elite of the industry, (laughs) 35 is when we go home, but uh, 37.5 is, I, I guess, sort of in comparison to what the heat maximises at in Perth is, is probably the equivalent of 35. I mean, is it, is it a dry heat? Is it, a, you know, is it heat waves that go for days and days? What do you reckon might be different from, say, Victoria? Um, well, it'd be nice to think there was no difference, but... Uh we do get heat waves here, not as much as, I don't know, with the climate change thing now, it's, you don't know if it's going to be snowing or heated off. But, yeah, uh, yeah I mean, Victoria, and I won't pull a punch on it, Victoria is the heartland of trade unionism. It always has been, ever since I've known. Like I said, I was very fortunate to go over and meet them good people, but uh, it's a heartland. And I, I think by the reason it is the heartland, because not knocking our union and don't think I am, but over the years the way the unions conducted itself and, and educated young people and taken them aboard, I think that's got a lot to do with it too. Back in the early 80s, there was my memory, very clear memory, that uh, things were a bit slow in, uh, in Melbourne. It picked up in the mid-80s, despite deregistration, or maybe it was because there was deregistration. But uh, in Perth, how busy was the, the industry in those days, in those, in those early 80 days when you first came in? Um, well, I, I think back in them days it was a bit busy. You had, you had jobs like the casino going and, and all that. And Perth, you know, they, they, were, they had high-rise, but... Not to the extent that Victoria had. They seemed to just have a boom, boom, boom. Mm. You know what I mean? Just the way I seen it. Mm. But uh, Perth uh, is getting some biggest... Uh, I, I think within the next four or five years, Perth will be raging with buildings because they're getting the population, more population. To get a unit today is 1%. Mm. And you've got 1% vacancy. I mean, uh, they've, they've got a building, and that's what'll happen. Well, in the time that I've been here, there's a lot of sites which are cleared, ready to go, but yeah. not a lot necessarily happening. There is work around, uh, more than I perhaps expected, but certainly not compared to the number of uh, sites ready to go. Ah, yeah, the talk, the developers are really out there now trying to get a get a quid and and. and get the building game going, which is a good thing. And uh, I think the next generation of uh, kids and that, I think that, that part of 
life, they'll, they'll have plenty of work here as long as they uh, remember where it come from and the conditions and everything else and put their shoulder behind their union, they can win anything. Yep. Back in uh, the early 80s and then into the mid-80s, as you got more experience in the industry, what sort of jobs did you go to? As uh, a worker, as a delegate? Most jobs I was on, I was delegate. Mm-hmm. I'd say 90%. So you did learn to swim? I learned to swim, yeah. Um, <laughs> and I, you know, I, the, the thing with me was, I believe I was pretty hard delegate, and that's what they all say, and I'm glad I was, but uh, sometimes it was hard for me to get a job, you know, and that's what ha- happens in Melbourne or anywhere, you know, if you speak out. But uh, Kevin always done his best to look after me and get me a job, so I was very fortunate there. So what are some of the jobs you worked on? Maybe people in Victoria wouldn't know, but certainly would be well-known jobs in Perth. Oh, yeah, I mean, like I said before, in the early days, the high-rise wasn't as big as what it is today. That's the way people are going to go. But uh, oh, all sorts of jobs, shopping centres. I don't know about three shopping centres in a row. And that's a chore on its own. Oh, it certainly is. But by geez, it was nice. Um, I can tell you a funny story about a shopping centre yeah. if you'd like. No, go for your life, Pete. Well, when would this be? This would have to be 88, 89, something. Mm. I had a broken leg and I was on crutches. And uh, Mark Binstead was the organiser on that job. And he came to me and said, do you want to go there as delegate? Because I had a delegate that wasn't behaving himself or whatever it was, I don't know. Um, I said, uh, yeah, no worries, but I'm on crutches. How do you reckon I'm going to go going on crutches? He said, that's my problem, not yours. I said, all right, beautiful. So I did. I started on the job and got voted in and, and all that. And Kevin wanted to win the 36-hour week out there. And uh, he said to me, no holes barred. Give it to them until you get them to sign that 36 hour. And I said, yeah, all right. So anyway, I had a free run. So there was more, between me and Mark, there was more uh, concrete went to the tip than there was on the job. But uh, the funny thing about this, uh, Maribuka, 89, shopping centre, that's the job where he wanted to win the 36. A bloke come up to me and said, just shows you how one door shuts and another opens and you think, geez, I can't hit them any harder, what am I going to do? And, you... and he come up to me and he was working for Coles. And uh, I won't mention any names because I'll probably still get him into trouble. But uh, he said, can I catch you after work? And he was a nice bloke, come from Melbourne. Oh, he must be a nice bloke. Oh, well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I went and met him and he said... Uh, you got bands on the cranes, you got bands on this, band on that. And I said, yeah, till they went at 36-hour week. It's signed, well, that, that's, that's the way it'll go. He said, well, he was working for Coles as a building person, mm-hmm. right? And uh, he said to me, uh, you know that little cafeteria for Coles in there? It was no bigger than this lounge room. And uh, he said, there's a band for you. Don't tell them I said, but there's a band for you. I said, what? He said, they've got to pay so much money every week if it's behind the cafeteria. And it was big money in them days. 
I said, well, thanks for that. So I put a band on the, the Rio, and the blokes had a job to go to, but I put a band on the Rio. He come up to me two days later and said, oh, you haven't been in that crane over there. I said, uh, uh, well, lift the band off that. It was costing him a quid, see. Lift the band off that and put it on the, put it on the crane. And I said, no, it's staying as it is. So the next day he come in and said, go into the office and uh, get me the paperwork and I'll sign it. So it just shows you where you think you can't do any more, but there's always that scope for a bit more. Well, that is a story in uh, opportunism <laughs> on both sides. Hey, <laughs> eh? uh, Maintaining uh, nature's delicate balance. Yes, that's what it is. Uh, very right. good. Yeah. Now... You said you came across to Victoria a few times. If I remember correctly, you came across to work. Uh, the last time I did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I did. I came over to uh, decide to go to Melbourne for a while and spoke to Camo on the phone and and uh, I went over there and done a bit of work and then I came back to Perth. And uh, how did you find Melbourne as an actual worker on site compared to just being a, uh, a visitor? Well, I, it was good. It was good? It was good. I don't know, it educated me a bit more, I think, just talking to the everyday bloke and getting to know him and going having a beer at the pub or whatever. And no, it was good. And would you like to tell the listeners uh, which job it was? Meyer House. The one and only. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was, it was a memorable job and uh, for those who... Uh, don't quite understand it. Oh, I'm not sure if I should say too much myself, like, a bit <laughs> like that bloke from Coles, but uh, yeah. it was a John Holland job and yeah. it was a disaster. That's right, it was. It was an absolute disaster. And uh, yes, uh, there was a whole lot of things that happened on that job and I think uh, over the journey there was a, at least six disputes that had to go to the disputes uh, tribunal. Yeah. For lost time, and the score at the end of it was we won the lot six zero. That's right. <laughs> and the uh, building division manager of uh, John Holland's uh, went back to Queensland. Yeah, where they belong. <laughs> yes, indeed. It was uh, there was some jo- there was some blues there which were unbelievable. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I won't go into graphic detail, but there was one dispute which led to a hell of a lot of lost time, which was because they were piping the sewerage yeah. from the top floors where they'd set up amenities. Uh, rather than people go up in the lifts, they try to shorten the time, so they put in a series of plastic pipes down through the building uh, and then into the sewerage system in the street. But, of course, um, <coughs> it didn't really take into account construction and all the things that can go wrong on a construction site and uh, let's just say it was like parting the Red Sea. It (laughs) was a shock. It was a shock. All the amenities upstairs were literally covered in this tidal wave of shit. Yeah. And because whoever had uh, set this up originally, um, the whole plan was just flawed to, yeah. to the nth degree and uh, they said oh but we've cleaned it up <laughs> yeah, but you hadn't removed the lino like 
there was the smell was unbelievable because it basically been trapped in the pipes and the, the pipes gave up under the pressure because it just that's right it just wasn't done right but anyway that was a dispute I'm trying to remember how many days were lost but the whole site had to be paid because the whole oh, yeah. site was contaminated oh, yeah. and we were the greatest bastards on earth for sure and uh, I remember the uh, I won't mention his name because he's still in the industry but uh, John hello if you're listening <laughs> I met him for a cup of coffee uh, some time later and he said to me, I'm going back to Queensland. I said, oh, oh, what, don't you like us? And he says, I'm going back to Queensland. You're not actually bad blokes, but I'm getting out of here while the bloody going's good because this mob I'm working for are hopeless. And he went back to another builder in uh, Queensland. But how did you find the experience in terms of how the work was done, what the conditions were like compared to Perth? Um, the conditions, uh, basically, not that I went out in the suburbs and that much in Victoria, but were similar, very similar. Mm. The, the, you know, the smoko sheds and first aid and whatever. Very similar. But yeah. I've got... Sorry. You're right, go ahead. And how the work was done, you know. Like sometimes there's ways of doing things which are quite traditional in one area and yeah. but not in another. Yeah, very, uh, not much difference in the way they, you know, they, uh, what was happening here, the way they built buildings and everything else, very, very similar. You know, nothing off, I could just say straight off. Mm. So you enjoyed your time in Melbourne? Loved every bit of it. Only I can still remember half past five on uh, rail station waiting to come into work and you reckon it's cold in Perth? Holy moly, did I feel it. <laughs> which, which station was that? Footscray. Footscray, the wind always blows there. Yeah. And it's uh, a no, freezing... No excuses, Ralph. That's <laughs> where it was. But it, it got a bit too cold so you come back to Perth. Oh, well, the job was coming to yeah, a finish and everything. And, yeah. and uh, when you yeah. got back to Perth, uh, where'd you go? Uh, back to Perth. Um, Broad Constructions, which is another story, uh, was the girls' high school at Mount Lawley. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kevin got me a job out there and uh, stayed there and then went to the tunnel. Ah, the tunnel. That's another story. It is indeed another story. And uh, how long were you there? Uh, before I got the arse, I would have been there. Have to be 12, 18 months. Yeah. So that's a fairly notorious dispute in the history of uh, West Australia. Ah, it was, yeah. And uh, it was probably a tryout, in my humble opinion, by the government, not only in. Uh, Canberra, but also in Western Australia, and the various uh, regulators that they were using to see how far they could uh, push a blue to get the sort of political content that they wanted to justify their legislative changes and that which have made it so hard for building unions to operate. That's dead right. And because, as I understand now, the 
West Australian government already had a regulator. It had a fancy title, but everyone called it the task force. And then the Howard government uh, had the Royal Commission and tried to add the uh, task force, the federal task force, to that. And it was a case of uh, a race between the states and the feds as to who could call the cops first, wasn't it? Basically, yeah. Yeah, you're spot on. It was a deal. I mean, when I got... I, we won it in the commission, my case, um, and come, they come to a settlement, and uh, I donated that settlement. I didn't want it. They didn't want their blood money. But that means nothing. But uh, the Liberal government... How and then we're talking with Leighton's and uh, the inclement weather was the thing they wanted to change. Yeah, that was the big, the big thing. So it ain't really anything about the union, in the sense that it's the conditions that the union wins which is the problem. If a, un- a union exists and does bugger all, there ain't a problem. Union exists and does something for its members, like yep. making it uh, a reasonable basis on which you work in terms of climate. Then that causes some uh, loss of productivity. That causes money to uh, not go into their pockets. Suddenly, that's the problem. That and is the problem. And that Leighton's job, uh, the tunnel. The what was the name of the? Uh, the, par- the project it had a particular name, didn't it? Uh, Perth, uh, Perth, uh, Mandra Rowling. Oh, that's right, yeah. yeah. Mandra Rowling, yes, indeed. So that was a famous dispute. And there's been a few. Oh, there's been a lot, and thank goodness there has been, because if there's not disputes, if we could all had a magic wand and we could go to work and wave it and fix everything, it'd be lovely. But it's us and them, and that's the way it is, and that's the way it'll be in 100 years' time. Now, looking at, at back over the time that you've been in the industry and comparing it to the shearing industry you came from, what do you think the major differences were between the two? Uh, big differences. Yeah? I mean, massive differences. Um, uh, sorry to bag the AWU, but I'm going <laughs> to. <laughs> but I wouldn't be the first... Um, and you won't be the last. <laughs> um, they sold us down the drain. I mean, the whole thing about that dispute wasn't wide comb, narrow comb. The whole thing is the award was set on that 94mm comb. On the, uh, that's what it was set on. So if the change the comb to a wide comb, that means there was no award. And this was some of the things that went on there. Yeah. But anyway, we had the blue... The Labor Party weren't very friendly with us neither, mm. but that, that goes back in history. And uh, I moved on. It was the best thing i ever done. Right. Now, looking back from that period where you moved on, what do you think were the highlights of your time in the industry, whether it's conditions, it was wages, a dispute, just the changes in... Uh, Attitude, what do you reckon was some of those highlights that uh, you have witnessed and probably played a significant part in as a delegate, as a rank-and-file member? Um, I don't know. Everyone... The thing is, I think, 
we we miss now we haven't got um, and makes me some of the comrades I met over the years in the building industry were second to none and uh, uh, completely two different organisations but I must stress that the shearing industry is very hard very hard it's you know, out there there's no inclement weather, I can tell you that. And uh, it's dog eat dog, you know what I mean? It's what it is. So in terms of the conditions on, not just conditions on the job, but the, the benefits received under the award, under the agreements, are there some stand out more than others to you or some of them might be small but important? I mean, there's lots of little things in an award. Yes. My experience of the award is that it was uh, hardly perfect, but it set down the basics and the agreements built on the award. Yes. Even a little change of word can subvert the meaning of a clause and the benefit that flows from that clause. And a whole lot of things have changed uh, as the awards have been changed. And one of them is shift work. There's more shift work now and less understood and less precise than it ever was for all the years beforehand. And I would have thought that on jobs like uh, the the rail tunnel and so on, there would have been a lot of shift work and hence the, uh, the push to change the clause. So is that your experience too? Basically, yes. Yeah. The whole thing... With the award is, it was set. The award wasn't set up for the workers. The award was set up for the employer, and uh, and being as greedy as they are, they will use that little word like you were saying. And so, with things like um, classifications, things like uh, allowances, things like uh, disabilities. All those things have, have, have changed a lot, but what's your experience in terms of Perth? Were the builders looking to bloody save every cent they could save or were they a, a little bit more affable? Well, they never give us anything, if that's what people think. <laughs> and uh, productivity is what they're all about. Mm. And uh, sadly, it's, it's us and them. Um, and that's where the UBA system uh, now, which they're trying to, to, to get rid of, and this is what the industrial coppers were doing running around sites. The, uh, the, the EBA is doing an EBA and standing up saying you want an EBA. Mm. Yeah, I want an EBA. That's what they've got to do. And that's a very difficult thing given the constant changes to the federal legislation. Uh, I'm quite sure that uh, it's not just the building industry but industry generally who have found it very difficult to get an agreement. And yet once upon a time it was the flavour of the month. Yeah, I can remember on a job if, if, if when EBAs first come out and that, the blokes would be queuing up at the union office wanting to... Get an EBA, you yeah. know what I mean? Because they knew it was fair. Yeah. It was fair. And uh, that's a big change of today. Um, 
not knocking the rank and file, and they've got a lot of pressures on them and everything. But if they want something done, they've got to realise they are the union. They are the union. And uh, they've got to stand up and fight. That's what they've got to do because we never won anything without fighting for it. Now, people go to work to make a quid yep. to survive. They want to do it uh, in the best working conditions they can get yep. and they want to do it safely. We've mentioned it earlier, but in terms of looking back now over the whole journey, what do you think is the position of the regulator? Do they do their job? Is there over-reliance on paperwork rather than hands-on actually ensuring safety? Are there issues that will apparently change but haven't changed? I mean, uh, now we have silica dust back as an issue which for, for decades was not an issue. That's right. And now it's huge. So how do you reckon uh, you've gone in Perth with health and safety over the journey? Um, well, it's, a, it's something you can't just say real good because, no. you know... It's, it's, you say what you like. It's a problem. Um, it's a major problem. People are short-cutting and, and it just goes on and on and on. And the paperwork is something. Like I said before, the, the employer has uh, worked out that it's not productivity-wise. They don't do it. They, they change it. They play with it. They... And they're great at blaming the blokes, you know, and people die over it. Yeah. And there shouldn't be any deaths in the in the construction industry or any other industry, to tell you the truth. So, is there any particular problems that uh, have kept reoccurring? Um, yeah, and I think they always will. Mm. I mean, uh, specifically, can't say that's a problem. That's a problem, but. It's an everyday occurrence. And uh, they, they're pretty cunning, the old boss. They're pretty cunning. Don't worry about that. So let's just throw one in there, asbestos. Asbestos, well, after the tragedy at Whitnam, it mm. highlighted a lot of, of what asbestos was all about. And, uh, but it's still, you can drive down the, down the road and you can and see the fence is still asbestos and everything. They haven't put a, a lot of empathy into it, I don't think. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, I th didn't our good friends uh, John Hollands uh, cross the line a bit at the uh, Perth Hospital job? Oh, definitely. With the uh, products that they were bringing in from uh, overseas? Yeah, that's right. They knew that before they bought it then. You know, but uh, the mate, if they can get away with it, they'll get away with it, and that's where it's us and them. That will, in a hundred years' time, it's going to be us and them. Any other issues in that particular general area that you think should be mentioned? Um, yeah, probably too many of them. <laughs> you can mention a few. It's that's fine. Yeah, look, I'm not cracking at organisers or bad delegates. But I must say what I believe. Mm -hmm. There is some organisers, and I'd never say names, but 
that don't even bother going on to the jobs to check those, check those sort of things that you're saying. Mm-hmm. They're very good at standing out at the gate. And that's not all of them, that's some of them. And delegates got to realise that it's an honour to look after, uh, represent workers on the job. It's a total honour. And that's why I looked at it. Um, and get a bit of harmony within a lot of them instead of playing politics because that's what's happening here. Right, so now the regulator, how do you go with your regulator over here? I mean, in Victoria, the regulator is part of the work cover authority. So the question about getting bosses to pay their uh, work cover uh, levy uh, is the number one issue. So they always seem to want to have uh, voluntary compliance. One, lay off people and at the same time uh, <coughs> collect the money. How, how do you go over here by comparison? Ah. Uh. I know, mate. It, uh, I've had, I haven't had that much to do with them, so I mean, I just—it's the old story. Line, fill your own pocket up before you fill someone else up. That's that's what it is. Right now, in terms of retirement, mm-hmm. how long have you been retired now, Peter? Ten years. Ten years. Pass quick. Goes quick, all right. Yep. Do you think you, as a as a building worker? were ready for retirement? No. Right. Now, have you got any suggestions as to how people actually move to retirement? I mean, there is a physical uh, path that everyone seems to follow. The older you get, the harder it is to keep the body moving. But uh, is there a role for older people to keep working in the industry? Because... At the moment, there seems to be labour shortages all over the country, but um, not everyone is able to work. Is there work that could be done by older workers, which maybe should be, you know, emphasised at the moment? Yeah, well, I've got two feelings about this. Um, If a pensioner wants to go and do a bit of work and get it on top of the pension, I haven't got a problem with that. But I'm being sceptical again, I suppose. How are those people going to get paid? Because mm. the greed's going to set in. And uh, we'll just see what happens, but they won't pay them, right? I mean, uh, they'll get them in the chemist shop, oh, uh, chemist shop down the road wants a casual in. We'll just say, they're not paying them right now. Yep. So uh, they're not going to pay them right. And... Uh, there's another point of it too. I don't know if it's right or wrong, but where I got no problem with the pension to go and getting it on top, you know what I mean. I think it's good, but he takes a job too, so there's another young bloke going to be out of work. You've got to weigh all this up, the whole thing, because then a young bloke, you put ten pensioners on there, on that job there, and uh, I would have got four or five young people on there. Well, what are they going to do for them? They've got to do something for the young people who can't get a job. But, of course, what's happening now is the retirement age is being increased. That's right. And so the problem is also, could I put it to you, that a person is getting towards the end of their 
physical capacity, but now they're expected to go two years longer. Now, is there a way of dealing with that issue? Are there particular classifications which should be prioritising older workers or disabled workers? I mean, there's a, there's a series of issues that we have to deal with, because otherwise we come in conflict with each other. And trying to work out some way of going forward is probably one of the things that uh, the union has to put a lot of uh, emphasis on. So have you got any thoughts on what, perhaps what classification should be reserved? Uh, look, whether it's ma- men or women doesn't yeah, matter. No, whether, of course. They, whether they're disabled or they're older, yeah, whatever. Yeah. I would have thought that we should be looking at a couple, at least some of the classifications to give them a go. Oh, definitely. There's no question of that. We should be. The whole thing is, it's all right making these changes, and uh, and the governments, both government, both parties, um, are pretty good at it. But uh, at the end of the day, you've got to think of the person like the disabled. I mean, that's disgraceful what's happened to them. I mean, uh, there's people looking in for that care all the time and can't get it. You know, I mean, it's, they've got a, the social issues in this country are getting as bad as what they are in a third world country, if it, and that's what's going to happen. So, I don't know, mate, I wish I had all the answers, but I ain't. Oh, no, that's fine. Now, we're probably getting towards the end of this discussion, and this is the opportunity to perhaps uh, reflect on all your time in the industry and what do you reckon the highlights have been? And uh, maybe, maybe just to balance it up a little bit, what, what have the lowlights been too? What, you know, what c- comes to the front of your mind when you think back and go, I've been in this industry for decades and, geez, I remember that with a, with a smile on my face and I scowl when I remember something else. Ah, there's plenty of funny times and plenty of hard times. But uh, I, like I said, I was fortunate, very, very fortunate to uh, have me trips to Melbourne and meet them blokes, you know, the comrades over there, Georgie Despar, Camo, uh, uh, Mickey Young, um, Maxie Duggan, you know, you can go on and on and on. But... Uh, them blokes, and like I said earlier, when uh, St Kilda Road, uh, when deregistration was on in St Kilda Road, big line, um, I think every, and you'd know better than anyone, I think every official, every organiser in Melbourne was locked up at some stage. I don't think you'd know one that missed. No, they were pretty thorough. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, this is it, you know, and now and you hear people saying, oh, I can't do that, can't do this, can't do that. By geez, you couldn't do much in deregistration. Mm-hmm. And so that would be one, dereg would be one of the low lives. Ah, oh, the lowest. Yeah. Yeah. The years in the, the 90s when we were first, well, when the, when the CFMEU finally got its act together, when... All the builders, labourers, branches was were incorporated, and we started doing EBAs and and so on. I, I put it to you, that was a pretty positive time, right through to two thousand, and then uh, 
Then we got to the Royal Commission a couple, a few years later. But anyway, that was a pretty positive time over here too, I, I would have thought. It was, Ralph, yes. It wasn't exactly the golden age, but... No, uh, no. You'd so. rather have it than not. Well, I suppose, yeah, I suppose so. <laughs> so, over the journey, you've, uh, you've been shearer, you've been a British labourer, you've been a delegate on the job and all the rest of it. You've also served on the uh, branch committee of management. The executive, yes. Yep, and you've been to conferences interstate and all the rest of it. So you've been a pretty active bloke over the journey. Are you now, at this point, 10 years down the track from retiring, still feeling positive about what you did? Um, I've had plenty of time to think about it, Ralph. That's what I'm getting to. But, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, if I had my time over again, I'd pro- through what I've learnt and that, I might change a few things here and there like most people. But no, I'm, I, I love what I've done. Uh, I, I was, the union was everything to me. And, uh, yeah, I'd like to do it again. I'd probably be a bit harder, that's all. <laughs> no regrets. None. None regrets. Well, thank you very much, Peter. We've been talking to Peter Ballard, a activist in the West Australian branch of the CFMU and previously the BLF. And... Uh, We've had a talk about uh, Western Australia and how it's the same. Overwhelmingly, it seems to me to be the, the same. A building worker in Victoria is a building worker oh. in Western Australia is a building worker in Queensland. But there are some local idiosyncrasies and uh, I guess we'll just have to put up with them. But uh, thanks very much, Peter, and uh, it's been terrific talking to you and uh, thank you very much again. Thank you. You have been listening to Creatures of the Industry, an ongoing series of oral history interviews about the building and construction industry in Melbourne and regional Victoria since the 1960s. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.